This episode is brought to you by Great Waters Financial. So our mission as an organization is not to say, okay, where is the church? Where is it easy to go? But where are the edges? Where are the places that we have not yet gone with the gospel? Dan Brocky, CEO of Bethany International, joins us on this episode. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. I'm Larry Gates and I'm here with Armin Asadi. And Armin is uh, doing a little bebop here in the background to our music. Bebop for the people that are 30 years younger is <laughs> some form of dancing. I'm not quite sure what I was doing. <laughs> you know, we're, Armin, we're having a lot of fun with this and we, we're almost a dozen episodes into this. This is episode, well, this is a dozen episodes. This is episode it's number exactly, 12. Yeah. <laughs> I can do my math. That's right. And, you know, just having so much fun just hearing from so many different people doing so many different things some of them controversial (laughs) (laughs) and that's okay because you know i think we see god in many different ways Mm -hmm. and come through in people's lives and how they work things out right and i'm excited for us to be talking to our guest today because, well, you know, I think I say I'm excited pretty <laughs> you much. may or may not. <laughs> I, I pretty much say that about every guest. But, you know, I've gotten to know Dan Brocky over the last few months and had an opportunity to visit with him and his team at a board meeting they asked me to attend. And after visiting with them, I knew I wanted to have them on the program because they are pursuing a really, really bold mission. So we have Dan Brocky. Dan is the CEO of Bethany International, and he had previously worked for a Christian publishing company, and he was the COO of David Cook Publishing. So he's been in the publishing industry for a long, long time, and at one time, Bethany International had a publishing company as well. But there's a transformation that's taken place around a very, very compelling mission, and let's just get Dan to talk about that. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Larry and Armin. Thank you. Good to be with you. I'm glad you're on the show. Yeah. And you know, Dan, when you and I met, it was some time ago, I had an opportunity of sitting in on one of your board meetings for a little while and just hearing from you and your staff about what is going on at Bethany International. And I knew something extraordinary was going. I didn't know exactly what God was going to do with what our podcast was going to be about. But as soon as we figured that out, (laughs) Dan, I knew I wanted to have you on the show because the mission of your organization is really a very bold mission. Well, yeah, it, it, it could be a little bit like Star Trek, go where no man has gone before. <laughs> yeah, or go, where, <laughs> go where all the dead bodies are buried, you know, because a lot of people have maybe tried. But we should probably give some context to our listeners about what is Bethany International. Let's start there. Tell us about what the organization is all about, because you've got this compelling mission, and I just think it's terrific. And could you talk about that? Yeah, well, our mission is to take the church to where it's not. And, you know, there have been 2,000 years of missions going on since Jesus came to earth and and went home to heaven and gave his spirit to us. But the Great Commission was to go to all nations, was to make disciples of all nations. And we haven't finished that yet, you know, nearly 2,000 years later. Mm -hmm. And so our mission as an organization is not, not to say, okay, where is the church? Where is it easy to go? But where are the edges? Where are the places that we have not yet gone with the gospel? And so our calling and purpose is to 
to do everything we can to bring the gospel to those places. Yeah, and when I listened in on your mission at your board meeting, you guys framed it up in a way that really captured my attention. And that was, I think, I got this right, that your target is to go after the one half a percent of the most unreached people groups. Is that right? Yeah, so there's a scale uh, of reachness, if you will. And so unreached people, there are about 16,000 people groups in the world today. 6,600 of them are considered unreached. Wow. By that, it means that it means that less than 2% okay, Christian so, presence. So back up for a second here, because I'm not familiar with mission speak so much, but right. okay. how do you define a people's group? You Is that my people. family? Is that a people's group? <laughs> no. So this would be, this would be ethnic people groups. So ethnically diverse. The, the word in the New Testament is ethne, which gets translated nation. Okay. So it's not like countries. Now, this is distinct ethnic people groups. Okay. So there's 16,000 of those yep. around the world. Yeah. Yep. And there's, did you say 6,300 that have yet to be reached with the gospel? 6,600. That 6, would be considered un, unreached. Would un, be considered un, unreached. unreached. And, and you're going to the most difficult half a percent of all the people groups. Is that what I heard? Yep. So if you are going to take a scale on those 6,000 plus people groups, you know, zero would be there's no Christian presence at all. And typically, actually, what we call those is unengaged, where there's no Christian witness, there's no worker among them, there's no Christian presence at all with those people. And then you can go up to about 2% Christian. Okay, so there's some presence, there's some church there, Uh but they're not very strong. Uh And they don't even evangelize themselves really at the level. So what we have done is saying we're targeting people groups that have less than one half percent Christian presence in it. And how many people groups is that? Of the oh, 6,600, how many are we talking about? Probably a couple thousand. Wow. People, so overall, yep. Wow. So that seems even just to, I mean, the half a percent thing seemed bold in and of itself, yeah. but even just thinking then about 2,000 different ethnic groups that probably require 2,000 different strategies to reach, Yeah, that's a pretty yeah. daunting mission. How do you guys go about doing that? Yeah, well, to recognize the reason they're not reached is because they're hard to reach, right? So, so And that could be any number of things. That could be geographic. That could be geopolitical, that could be religious, it could be other kinds of barriers that you've got to climb over to get there, communication, language, it could be a number of things. And so the key there, one of the other elements for us is a Westerner is not probably going to be the most effective at reaching those. Mm. So that's where we partner with national workers who have an affinity and have a proximity to those people groups. Now, just so I have some kind of geographic context here, the 2,000 that you guys are targeting as part of Bethany International, where are they largely located? Well, you'd, you'd mostly find them across North Africa. You'd find them in the Middle East, Central Asia. You'd find them in North India. You'd find them in Western China, okay, some of the more remote Western areas of China. And you'd find them some areas of Southeast Asia. And that typically is what's called the 1040 window. Mm -hmm. What's the 1040 window? It's a longitude, latitudinal distinction of either side of the equator across that that region of the world. Gotcha. So this mission that you have, is this a mission that existed since the birth of Bethany International? Well, I think originally Bethany started off the founders really gave themselves, I mean, literally gave their whole lives. They sold their homes, pooled their resources, saying, we want to train, send, and support 100 missionaries. 
So it was a very general recognition that there were unevangelized millions of people in the world. We want to send missionaries to try to reach them. Before you go on, I want to just draw attention to that because it's a it's a very unusual thing that these families did. They basically decided they were going to support missions, so they all sold their homes, right? <laughs> and they created this community. I mean, it was an axe community. They pooled everything together in order to provide the funds to support and train missionaries. Yeah, they were not wow. they were not missiologists. They were not even pastors. They were business people. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so they just responded to saying, hey, we can't keep living our lives the way we've been living if if this is the problem we've got to face. So, you know, they just kind of got at it. My dad joined Bethany very early on, not not in that first year, but in a couple of years later. He ended up being a teacher and all that. But he he used to say, if God had given this to a bunch of theologians, they'd still be talking about it. But he gave it to some <laughs> business people, so they did something about it. Yeah, now talk about that for a second, too, because— Bethany International self-sustaining, or was, or maybe still is, yeah. but I know that you had a number of businesses that were providing the income to do that, including Bethany Publishing House, which was sold how long ago now? Oh, 2003. Yeah. Sold to Baker Publishing, yep. Yeah. yeah. So they started just, again, looking for whatever they could do. They did wood products for the home. Being a bunch of Norwegians, they made lefse plates, so they made a hot grill <laughs> that you could make lefse on. They started doing camping trailers. And so around the Midwest, there were pop-up camping trailers that you could see all over the place, the Bethany campers, and then, of course, Bethany House Publishers. Those all seemed to work pretty well. They did some other ventures that didn't work so well. <laughs> but that that supported you know, this community, this Acts 2 community. It supported mission training, training of workers, and it supported the sending of workers all over the world. And now how are you organized today? How do you go about doing that today? Well, we do we do some enterprise like that. We have a Bethany Global University, which is a, a school that trains people for cross-cultural missions, young people for cross-cultural missions. And so they pay room and board, and, and that covers some of their core costs. We do some business adventuring as well. And then, of course, our missionaries raise support. So many of them will raise support from their local church and other areas. But some are involved in business in other parts of the world as well. So they... They'll do a blending of business and support-raised activities. And then we get a lot of support from foundations and individuals who are saying, hey, we want to be part of the mission. So it's a blend of business. And we also have some business that we continue to do. We supply some digital print equipment for folks around the world. Yeah, you have some really ruggedized printing capabilities because... Some of the places you go to, the temperature is like 140 degrees and <laughs> would melt most printers, right? Yeah, well, one of our guys grew up in, in West Africa, and he worked in our printing operation that we had. And he wondered, Boy, I wonder if we could create something that would allow books to get printed where I grew up. And so actually out of that developed print technology, utilizing existing technology, but applying it into that kind of setting. And so, yeah, there are like 100 placements right now in 50, well, I think 60 countries now. Ah, that's great. Now, one of the things, Dan, that I was impressed by is that you've really integrated business and the mission work, the kingdom-minded mission work, really, and seeing right. that both of those live together, serve each other, and work together really well. And you also have a very integrated mission in terms of training people to go to these most difficult to reach place through your university. So how do you, what do you look for 
in someone who might want to be a missions candidate here. I'm imagining there might be a listener out there that's saying, that is what I need to do. I want to be at the tip of the spear. I want to go out to the most difficult to reach places in the world. And I just am scared out of my gourd about how exciting that might be, but I'm just not sure if I'm qualified or I've got the right medal. What do you look for in somebody like that? Well, first thing is willingness. I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to lay aside some comforts to do this. You've got to be willing to say, the American dream isn't the most important thing in my life. I'm willing to lay some things down. So that that's an attitude and that's a mindset. But then you gotta you gotta invest in people as well. So, you know, in Bethany Global University, they have a couple years of training and education here in the US. But then they do their junior senior year of schooling while they're getting their BA in intercultural studies and they go to other parts of the world and they experience those cultures. And you know, you don't start off with everything being okay. These students and our other workers, they go through culture shock. Mm. They go through this being really hard. Mm-hmm. But by not having to do it alone and having people coach you through it and walk with you through it, it helps people grow. And over a period of 16 months, while they're there, they they move beyond just kind of getting adjusted to it. They begin to love it, and they begin to, we, we call it, they become intercultural. They begin to know how to move in an intercultural environment. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Hey, Armin, I'm super excited. Our friends at Great Waters Financial, a wealth management firm based here in Minneapolis with over $300 million in assets under management. They are our sponsors for this episode. I'm so glad they are because there's two financial institutions in this world that I would ever put my name behind, and Great Waters Financial is definitely one of them. You know, I have had the opportunity, Armin, to talk to about a dozen of their clients one-on-one. And they are not just clients. They are raving fans of Great Waters Financial. And why? Because they are treated like family. They're treated like somebody that they can trust to get the job done. And Great Waters makes it very simple to understand all the retirement complexities and financial plans that you might need to make. And they do it with uh, all the latest tools but they do it with a lot of heart. That's right. These guys are setting a new standard of how this is done. So if you want to schedule a time with your future advisor, then go to www.greatwatersfinancial.com forward slash bold idea. I want to hone my questions in on you specifically, and I have a reason behind this, but where were you before you came to Bethany International? I served in, actually in Christian publishing for about 24 years, and then I did consulting with other organizations and business and ministry consulting. So, But I spent a lot of time in publishing world, and so it was a business context. Gotcha. And then when you came to Bethany International, what did you walk into? I mean, what mission was handed to you when you first came in? I know it was obviously missions related, but how, how did it differ than the mission that I just heard now? Today? Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing I would say is that the mission of Bethany, while it's adjusted from time to time, it, it hasn't changed. I mean, we are still committed to taking the gospel to those far places of the earth. The model of how it operates has changed a lot. You know, honestly, it's, 
times change and you've got to change your models. So what I walked into was an organization that was trying to rediscover what its new models were for going forward. And so I walked into a little bit of a crisis, actually, at Bethany. And God has just preserved all the way through that. Hmm. How did you get to the point of saying, all right, we're going to take this mission that's existed since the beginning, but we're going to narrow it so much mm-hmm. that we're going to turn it into what may seem like mission impossible? Yeah. You know, I, well, you know this from business. You can have mission statements you put on your wall someplace, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it really all it is is a platitude. It doesn't draw anything of it. It doesn't actually demand anything of you. Mm. But if you think about a mission that, you know, go climb that hill and take the top of that hill, right? Yeah. It's a very precise kind of goal. And I remember praying early on at Bethany, God, help us to not just have a platitude as a mission, but have us have something we've really got to see you come through in, in a new way, in a powerful way, if we're going to accomplish it. So what were some of the challenges you faced as you tried to implement that vision? Well, define it and and bring clarity to it. Mm -hmm. The first step was this issue of of recognizing what I call this 1040 window, these unreached, unengaged peoples, to actually turn that into a graphic. I remember one of our board members stood up in a meeting. He was living in Delhi. This board member lived in Delhi, India. And he picked up his computer and he showed it to all of us. He just kind of carried it around the room. And he said, look at where all these red dots are. Well, it just showed the intensity of red right across this part of the world. And said, this is where the edge of the kingdom was. And I think that was one of those moments where our board and our staff leadership just said, you know what? That's where we've got to have our attention. It's got to be right there. Hmm. So that was one thing. The second thing was, how does that transfer from being now a new statement where the church is not and, and going there? How does that turn into something that's compelling for all of us? And I think that that process of bringing alignment was really, really critical. And that took some time. It didn't just happen immediately. Yeah. How did you create that ownership and that alignment? That's so important. As a leader of an organization, you may be able to see and grab a hold of the importance of the vision before the rest of your staff. That's kind of what I'm hearing. And then, you know, you create some awareness. That's what I heard about the need. Then how did you create it from being that's a mission to that's our mission? Well, one thing that is going on all the time that that we have this, you know, organizational leadership kind of discussion going on. One thing that's going on is we had people and relationships and partners all over the world that were seeing amazing things happen. Mm. You know, one of our partners is in Cambodia. His wife, his her parents were killed in the killing fields of the Khmer Rouge. And he he came into Cambodia as a young man over a number of years, saw thousands of churches planted in Cambodia. And he just saw a miraculous, and you got a chance to actually see that. Well, you begin to hear that story, you begin to share that story with your team, and it, it, it turns, a, it, it stops being just a bunch of words, and it begins to be a, a story that you become a part of. We just recently had a guy, one of our workers, missionary, who's Ghanaian, in Ghana, and he's been seeing amazing things happen in North, northern Ghana where Muslim villages are wide open to the gospel coming in. And some of it is because these villages have seen Boko Haram, for instance, these militant Muslim terrorist groups, and they don't want that. They don't like that. And so they're opening up to the gospel in a way that is amazing. 
Well, you tell those stories or, you know, partners we have in Ethiopia who we worked with them in the early 2000s and begin to train their evangelists who were good at going to their own ethnic Ethiopian people groups, but they were not effective going to Muslim groups, you know, working with them and then hearing the stories how, you know, literally tens of thousands of Muslims have come to Christ after learning a little bit better how to communicate cross-culturally. Well, you begin to tell those stories and you begin to say, oh, you know what, this is something we can contribute to. Because, you know, I think one of the big issues is if you throw a goal out there that is too big and people don't have any sense of being able to really contribute to that, it sounds good, but it doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. And they don't they don't know how they can make a difference. Yeah. So how did you bring that down? Because, you know, one of the things that strikes me, and frankly, the reason I invited you to be on this podcast is because you have a very, very big goal. And yeah. so how did you bring that down to the point where... You know, you don't water the gold down, but you you make it so enticing that your staff just wants to get up every morning and figure out how to break through and, and make that happen. How did you do that? Well, I think when you, as soon as you say, how did you do that? My, my first response is I didn't. <laughs> you know, cause, All right. How would uh, you do that? <laughs> yeah, but how, how did God do that? You know, okay. but I think I think part of it is in, and I think, you know, this, too, that if your leadership really comes together and says, this is, this is of God, you know, this is, this is important and this is right for us to pursue. We need to do this. If your leadership comes together, then you begin to get a clarity of voice coming from every area of leadership as it touches the organization. And I think that's one of the biggest things. If you don't have that agreement at the leadership level, it is never going to make it down into the organization and the team as a whole. Mm. So I think that's the first big thing. When did you know that you had that? What did it look like for you to finally go home and tell your wife and say, you know, honey, I think today we had a real breakthrough with mm-hmm. the staff. Was there a time that that happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, it's about a year and a half ago, two years ago, was not the first time that I began to sense something was shifting, but I was sitting in one of our operations team meetings in our leadership meetings. And one of our team members said, you know, I've been at Bethany for 25 years, 30 years. And this is the most excitement, the most unity, the most sense of, of being together, doing this together that I've ever known in the whole time I've been at Bethany. Mm. And I just I remembered thinking, wow, that, that was a moment, you mm. know, and I, I could tell a backstory to that, but I won't right here. But that was one of those markers. I go, that's something worth noting. Mm. And then about six weeks later, a small group of our board, kind of a, an exec committee group was on a f- conference call. And we were just doing a follow-up to our budget year, starting of our new budget year. And one of the board members said, you know what? I cannot help but believe that God is going to bless Bethany because of the unity and the agreement and the excitement that I see in you as leaders. So, so one was you know, one of our, our leadership team saying something he noticed. The other was a board member noticing that and making that kind of a statement. Yeah. And I, I thought something has shifted. Yeah. Because this is this is a perception shift that's taken place. Yeah. Now, how long did that take? I mean, you said it happened a couple of years ago, but like, yeah. w- when did this new vision start to come take form, and how long did it take to get to the point where it was owned by your leadership team? Well, it was six six years ago. First of all, when we adopted the mission statement to take the church to where it's not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was six years ago. Yeah. 
this happened, let's say, two years ago, yeah. in essence, okay, that it got there. About midway in there, okay, from, you know, like 2013, in 2013, we had a new team member come on board mm-hmm. in March of that year. Mm-hmm. And he brought a whole nother skill set of gifts into the team, tremendous clarity, great communicator, and just just brought a lot of dynamic to our team. And then another year later, we had another key team member come on board. And he had served with our mission in East Africa for many, many years, had been with Bethany, but he had not been on our home, our home team. And so these two guys came into the team. The rest of our team had been there for many, many years. But it was like when when these two guys joined our team, it just the whole energy level, the confidence between team members and the ability to execute outside of the meeting room. You know, in other words, you can make all the decisions you want, but if you can't execute outside, it's not going to happen. So once that shifted, that was really, really a key moment. One other thing that I had just, and this is 10 years ago, I knew that we had to learn how to function in an integrated way. Because, you know, if you're running a college, okay, Bethany Global University, if you're running a mission agency, if you're running a global partner mission training programs around the world, if you're running a publish for all digital print and content ministry over on the side, none of those are very much like each other. Right. I mean, they're all very, very different from each other. Right. And so you had to be really intentional about saying, we're going to figure out how to do this stuff together. In other words, it's easy to kind of silo off and say, what you do is so different than me. I'm just going to go do my thing. You do your thing. And we'll, we'll hopefully we'll all work together. And we made a decision to say, we're going to find ways to do this together. And it's going to have to be intentional. That's a challenge. Yeah. So you noticed that there was a shift in unity. Your board member noticed that and your yep. staff started to get more excited. Here's a question I have for you because you've you've shifted the mission. And what it sounds like is you created a lot more clarity and, and precision about going after this bigger, bolder idea, right? Yeah. And here's the question. You said you also brought in some new people. And I know you're every year you're recruiting new students to the university. Are you finding right. that this new clarity that you have in the mission makes it easier to attract people? Interesting. So one comment was in late August when our classes arrived, that, that next class, we had about a 70% growth in number of freshmen that came in. So we were small, wow. fairly small, but we had a 70% bump. And that was significant. And a lot of that is just aligned to the fact that you got clear about this tip of the spear kind of mission. Yep. Yep. That was clear. That's awesome. We still didn't have that big goal. It was about a year and a half ago that we actually had what we call the engage 500 goal, which is to engage these least reached of unreached people. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, that five half, half percent group, we didn't get that until March of 2015. And I remember when that goal came on the table, I said, that's the goal we've been looking for. We have a mission. We have values. We have a team that's functioning together. But this goal is compelling and it's big. And it's measurable. And it's going to require something way beyond us. Yeah, that's awesome. We're going to get it done. That's awesome. 
Well, Dan, unfortunately, we've we've run out of time for our conversation. Wow. But I, I tell you what, I'm I'm more excited about your mission now than than I was even before we started this episode because I just think it's such a daunting but a compelling mission. If there's others that might be listening to us today that that might also share kind of excitement and want to know more, how do they find out about what Bethany International is doing? Well, they can certainly go on bethanyinternational.org. Just spell it out. org. You can also go on Bethany GU, so Bethany Global University, but Bethany GU dot edu, and they can find out more about Bethany Global University there. And there's actually a free download ebook that you can get about you know kind of how to find God's will for your life and God's calling in your life. Great, so that's a a good little resource. And then there's actually some pages you can go to on the websites there to learn more about the Engage 500 goal. There's some video. There's a lot of video on on the site, so you can. You can see a lot of what's happening in different parts of the world as well. That's great. Well, got a lot of good resources there to go onto your website, and we'll have that also in the show notes. But Dan, I can't thank you enough for being on the program, and we'll be praying that you continue to engage your team and to reach this most difficult people group. It's just tremendous vision. Well, thank you, Larry. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Armin. It's good to meet you. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Bless you guys. Well, I mean, that was Dan. Dan the man. Dan the man. He's a kind of guy that I just love to be with. And I don't know if you can imagine, but he's got, he's so incisive. And we really didn't have enough time in this conversation to pick apart all the stuff no. that he's doing in his organization. Yeah. And you can get him talking about, about that till the cows come home. But what's really fun is, as I said at the opening of the show, that I had a chance to visit with him and his team and just to hear the passion that his team have about that mission. Yeah, is really, really cool. They are really aligned to go after this really an impossible mission, I think. Right. So let's unpack this like we do with every episode, because there's some nuggets in here, I think, that's really valuable. Even if you are not considering this kind of ministry, if this is something that maybe, you know, you you couldn't see yourself for a long shot doing some of these some of this missions work. We talked to Brian Simmons, you know, yeah. and when his when he was a missionary long ago, right? Nuts. And you know, you don't have to be a missionary to be pleasing God. In fact, you just have to be you. Yeah. You know, and, and and exercise the gifts God's given you to do. And but maybe you are that, in which case, you know, you can you can go off into find out what Bethany International is about. However, there's something, I think, from his story and what he's been talking about today that we can all take away and use in our lives. Well, you have more experience and you've had more interactions with them other than this podcast. So I'm curious what your takeaways are combined with the interactions you've had in the boardroom and in the executive meetings or whatever else you were a part of with them. Well, as I was listening back to this episode, you know, as we do, we record these ahead of time and then Armin and I go back. And we re-listen to them and we take our takeaways from it. And I found some some good threads here. First of all, the thing that attracted me to even go to their board meeting was, and then to see it and hear these guys talk about, it, is their compelling mission. I mean, they have a very narrow defined, if it isn't in the half a percent of the world's most difficult to reach population, we're, we're not people's group, you know, as he defined yeah. that which doesn't include my family, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that's how where you went to me. I know. So right. My yeah. So the, so the, the most difficult to reach people group, that's their target. And I my just, family should be in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just love it because it's so challenging and succinct a mission. It's the, it's a high, high bar yeah, it is. and yet a very real need. 
And that's what's very, very compelling. And the students that, you know, we heard about in that board meeting that are pursuing this are just like, wow, that they are on fire. They are just charged up for this mission. I guess you kind of have to be to go well, after that mission. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like saying we're going to do a man trip to Mars. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really that kind of mission. He said something in the interview that reminded me of Guy Kawasaki, you oh. know, the, the venture capitalist oh, guy. Well aware and, of yeah. Guy. And he asked his team, what are the edges? What are the edges? And I don't know if he was borrowing from Guy, but one of the things that Guy Kawasaki says, change happens at the edges. Interesting. So look to the edges. The center is safe. You know, so look to the edges. And I thought about that as he said it, because I think that's true. If we want to be bold in our own ideas, sometimes we have to look to the edges and move out of that. Can you break that down a little bit? Because if if someone is listening that's not familiar with Kawasaki's terminology of what edges are well he's yes he says change happens at the edges so in other words it's not the stuff that stays the same that you need to be thinking about it's the stuff that most people would move away from because it's It's an outlier it's an outlier it's out on the out on the edge right and those are the things that are where the opportunities lie Mm -hmm. and really where the you know the old maps that the cartographers used to draw the ocean long ago. It says, you know, it used to say there be dragons here, you yeah. know, <laughs> so don't go there. Right? Right, right. That's the implication, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in this case for Dan in his organization with Bethany international, they are pursuing one of the most difficult to, to reach goals. And I just love that they are thinking about that in the context of where are the edges? What are the, what are the things that are challenging? And that's bold. If, it is bold. If there's anything I've ever heard that aligns with what this podcast has been about, he did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the second takeaway I took after listening to this again and in watching it with his team, I, I kind of wrote it down on my notes this way. Buy-in is measured by dive-in. And, and that is you can measure how well your team buys into something by how much they sacrifice for it. Oh, wow. Do they dive into it? You know, do they commit so to good. it? And you remember him saying early on that he said the genesis of Bethany was these families that got together and they decided, these business people, right, yeah. that got together and said, we can't live this way. We've got to commit ourselves to a different purpose. So they changed their whole way that they that yeah. they lived, right? And they, yeah. they pooled their resources and they decided to get resourceful and they used the skill set that they had, which is being business people, and they launched businesses. You know, wow. he, he mentioned, you know, wood products and Lefsa plates. I have no idea what that is. Ah, I'll take you to a place that you have to have Lefsa. Uh, all right, great. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Trust me, you're good. Camping trailers, I know what those are. Yes, <laughs> you thank know, God. of course, they formed a publishing company, Bethany Publishers, probably the most well known venture that they did. But I love the fact that they said, look, this mission is so compelling, it invites us to sacrifice and rearrange our lives so that we give to it. And the takeaway there as well, the third takeaway, it flows out of that, is they did it together. It was a Mm -hmm. shared mission. It wasn't some one guy just going off being zany, but they, they had a core mission and they said, this is worth our collective working together. And if you noticed... That was the same thing that they said to their students. You know, Dan was yeah. saying, what I'm looking for from our students that are going to be successful here is their willingness to turn down the American dream for something that's even better. You know? It's so intense. Yeah, right. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and he also then followed that up with, and you don't have to do it alone. Right. And that's that togetherness thing. 
what I really like about what you're saying is when most organizations think they have something truly compelling, whether it's their vision or their mission, the only way that they can figure out or analyze if it is compelling or not is they survey people, right? So they ask them and whatever the people say, they go with. Is it compelling or is it not? It's yes or no questions. Mm-hmm. But you're you're saying you know how compelling something is that you've come up with, whether it is your mission or your vision, based on how you see people diving into it, owning it, committing to it, and sacrificing for it, which is so actionable. You're watching the way they work. You're watching the way they function. You're watching the way they talk and act, which is so different than asking someone because more often than not, let's just be honest, they're going to be fearful and tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. Right. What's the old adage? I can't hear what you're saying because of what you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, if our actions speak louder than words, another adage, I mean, it just proves that point. If you want to know whether you have buy into something, Mm -hmm. see how well engaged they are in it. Do they take it up as their own cause? Yeah. Are they willing to sacrifice something for it? I work a lot, as you know, with startup companies, and you can Mm -hmm. always kind of tell a startup that's going to make it from those that aren't. The ones that are going to make it are the ones where you see the lights on after five o'clock. Mm-hmm. The ones that aren't, are, they, they just, it's a job for people. Right. And right. they're not going to, I mean, I'm not saying you have to work X number of hours. That's not the point. The measure of success isn't necessarily sure. the number of hours. It's the commitment. It's the passion that you have right. for it. And whether you have buy-in across the team to, to make it happen. So when we're thinking about our bold ideas, do you have that passion yourself mm-hmm. for the thing that you're pursuing? You know, step back and ask, is the thing that I'm giving most of my time to rising up to that level where I get out of bed in the morning and I go, this is, I've got to give, I've got to rearrange my, I've got to figure out a new way to get more resourceful because if something's not working, I'm going to find out what makes it work. Remember he said, they're not married to the model, they're married to the mission. Right. And models change. Now what that says is they are committed to that mission. And so you ask yourself, Am I committed to the thing that I'm spending time doing? And if not, that's the place to start. What can you get committed to? I love that. And I don't, I don't think my takeaways are very different than yours. I'll try to keep mine a little bit short. So my two takeaways were clarity and unity. That's mm-hmm. what I took away from Dan. Mm-hmm. My understanding of the way he broke down clarity is that, well, first and foremost, complexity kills clarity. And I think he took something that was a little bit more complex than I needed it to be. He simplified yes. it and, yes. and and through that process, he created a form of clarity that was so niche that it was either something you're going to commit to or walk away from, but there was no more gray area. Yeah, that's good. And that was so powerful from what I could see. By Dan leading the organization to establish a clear purpose for Bethany International, right? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to make sure it's Bethany International. He was able to drive an understanding of what the organization is about and what it will take for it to be successful. That clarity, it was like this purpose that trickled down throughout the entire organization from the CEO to the board to the other executives and associates down to the students. I mean, it was so holistic. It enveloped everyone into it because it was so clear you could not miss it. Mm -hmm. And that trickle down effects from that clarity was so powerful that it created something that a lot of organizations lack, which is my second point, Mm -hmm. 
it created unity. Right. Right. And I listened to his talk about the unity aspect of it that took place. And the the fact that he got the whole organization to unite was so incredible. But here's what I got from the unity aspect of their organization that stemmed from clarity is they were able to one, understand the vision because it was clear and they could unite around it. Two, they could own the vision. Three, they could contribute to the vision. And four, they were able to pass on the vision. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't dependent on the board. It wasn't no, yeah. dependent on the president or the executives. Yep. They created something that was so clear that everyone could unite around it and everyone could pass it. And it's part of the culture. Yep. yep. And now if they, if somebody, I think, tried to move off that mission, you could. everybody would know it. Yep. And <laughs> it, it, it becomes accountability. That's another right. great point. Yeah. Yep. Because it's so clear. Yep. I'll stop there. That's clarity and unity. That, that, that was powerful takeaways for me because I lack clarity in a lot of things I do. Oh, yeah. And it's so good. And it's so important. And we like to sometimes keep ambiguity alive just because we're fearful of what clarity might produce in us, I think. Right. And that's probably fodder for another episode. Listen, we know that as you listen to these episodes as well, you have your own takeaways. And so we'd love to hear them. Go to our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash one, two, or 12 for this episode and leave us a comment. Let us know what are your takeaways from the show. And by the way, if you go to those show notes, you'll find the links to Bethany International and some of the other resources that were talked about on this episode. And we'd love to have you comment on the show or leave us a comment on our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. Well, this is Armin Asadi and Larry Gates saying farewell. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.